from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Welcome, 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 and happy Thursday to all of you. Thank you so much for joining us on the G and Ursula show. G is out today, but here is Angela Poe Russell. Good morning. I'm so happy to be with you, Ursula. It's always a lot of fun. Uh, Tough stories this morning that we are going to be covering. So we're going to help you get through all of that. And we're going to rely on you because, as we have said, we have the smartest listeners. And you all help us gain clarity on many of these stories. So we're going to lean a little bit on you because we're going to kind of go through some rough ones. Our Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line is 888-973-5476, cairo Also, yesterday we talked about Alaska Airlines flight attendants who say they're willing to go on strike, and this would be for the first time in more than three decades. Of course, that would cause all sorts of flight disruptions if it were to happen. We're going to hear from the president of the Flight Attendants Union. That is coming up at 9.30. Again, and as always, we invite you to join us on our text line, 888-973-5476, cairo And let's get to it. Our top stories brought to you by Wayscar Ford Isuzu in Auburn. A popular radio DJ and mother of two was killed. Nearly two dozen other people have been injured, many of the victims' children, after gunfire erupted at the end of the Super Bowl victory rally in Kansas City, Missouri yesterday. Police Chief Stacy Graves just wrapped up a news conference a few minutes ago. Preliminary investigative findings have shown there was no nexus to terrorism or homegrown violent extremism. This appeared to be a dispute between several people that ended in gunfire. During the overnight hours, we learned there are 23 victims of yesterday's shooting. So now three people have been arrested. Several guns have been recovered. We still, Angela, don't know much about the suspects other than two of the three are under the age of 18. Uh, This man's daughter spoke with uh, CBS News, or this man spoke with CBS News, and he he said that his daughter overheard a girl telling one of the suspects, don't do it, not here, this is stupid. My daughter said that uh, some lady was like holding him back and people had started backing up and then he pulled it out and just started shooting and spinning in a circle. And I think it's important to point out that this deadly shooting happened even though there were more than 800 police officers at this victory rally. Kansas City Mayor Quentin Lucas remembers running for cover when the shooting broke out. This is not the way I want to live. Lamenting that nothing feels safe anymore. I remember in America where you could go to big events without a fear of shooting, where schools weren't armed fortresses and where you didn't have to see this happening again and again. Lucas said he'd like to get back to that time. He didn't say how. Vicki Barker, CBS News. And I guess the question for all of you this morning is, can we get back to that time? How do we get back to that time? You know, Ursula, I'm just, I'm, there's so much to talk about here. I mean, first of all, just dealing with the fact that this happened on such a joyous day. So many people impacted children. There's that piece. Then to find out that some children some teenagers, because you said a couple of them are mm-hmm, under the age three. of 18 suspects. And then here, I'm just, where do we begin with this conversation? I mean, let's start from the beginning, I guess. I mean, the press conference, there was this, you know, pointing out that we had a ton of people here and still couldn't 
prevent this from happening. So I immediately start to going, okay, what is it going to look like in the future? Because how do people feel, you know, like, yeah. do you, are, are you supposed to avoid big events now? And and I get it. So, someone pointed out, well, the statistics are, you know, you can't just go on emotion. The statistics are still in your favor. These are still relatively rare. I'm sure that's what many people thought as they go to this. They're one of one million people. Yeah. What are the chances? But here's the thing that makes I have to point this out because it's relevant in a state like Missouri, where people can carry a weapon without having a permit, without like they they are the loosest in terms of gun laws, you know, in the country. So maybe in that kind of environment, when you have a big event, maybe people have to get tickets or there has to be an entry point because it, it sounds to me like how it, would you do that i mean i, I don't know but people. i mean but just was it that was it that a million people yeah i don't know but i mean when you have that's that's the thing i wonder what measures can i'm sure someone smarter than me knows this what measures could you put in place at big public events because yeah that that's yeah uh well here's another question though I posted on our Gene Ursula Show Facebook page, page last night, and I uh, basically asked our listeners again, what can we do? What can I do as an individual? How do you react to this? And of all the posts that I've shared in the past week, this one got the fewest responses. I and, think- I, and, I, and I touched on very trivial things this week. And it's like, are, are we all just exhausted? I think there's... There is not one solution. No. And and so I think it's kind of and, and then how do you even have a conversation anymore about it without everyone starting to get into an argument? Yeah. Or and going I just, into their camps. Yeah. And I want to just point this out because let's talk about juveniles for a minute, because even before the shooting, you've had discussions on this show. What is going on with our teenagers? Yes. We know we went through the pandemic. We know there is a mental health crisis. It sounds again, this is preliminary, not official. But someone said, hey, this is stupid. Don't do it here. Right. And someone loses it. And so it just makes me think about the mental health state of our teens. How are we taking care of them? Those who have access are typically people with money and resources. And we have to find a way to turn this around. Because this isn't just a Kansas City issue. This is an American issue. It it really is. And just on Valentine's Day alone, I mean, that day has a history of mass shootings, including Parkland, Florida. Right. And I don't I'm not willing to say, well, this is who we are. This is this. Nothing's going to ever change. Nothing's going to get better. But yet I can't tell you what is going to get better other than we talk about it. We don't accept it as being okay. I don't want it to just be another, oh, well, it's just another day, another, it's another shooting. It's another day, right? Which, like you said, not much response because, mm-hmm. yeah. What's the text line? Are you... Um, I, Chef, are look. you looking? I'm actually not looking at it right now, but text us. 888-973-5476, Cairo. We'll, we'll get into it again because in any time we do these kinds of stories, I, I think my, my mind automatically goes to, what can I find? What is the positive in any of this? And... There were some heroic actions. There were people who oh, yes. put themselves in danger to help. There were also, I mean, this was, again, Kansas City's big day to celebrate their victory. And there were players who had just gotten up the stage. And some of them did some really remarkable things. So 
I do want to bring that up. But I would just love, again, to hear from you. What can we do? What can and, and what should we do individually other than make sure we're protected? Right. All right. Well, I see folks texting it, so maybe we'll get to that a little okay, bit later we'll do in the show. Okay, in Thank the 10 you. o'clock hour. Okay, uh, locally, two former Tacoma police officers who were found not guilty in the death of Manny Ellis, well, they're now asking for the state to pay for their legal defense. A third officer who was also tried and acquitted is considering doing the same, and a judge is going to hear the case next month. So if their request is granted, it could mean hundreds of thousands, even millions of additional dollars that would be paid out to these three officers. Just a reminder that these officers have already received $500,000 each after they agreed to resign from Tacoma PD last month. And that is in addition to the more than $1 million that was paid out while they were on leave for several years prior to their trial. The state attorney general's office prosecuted the case and a spokesperson says the jury would need to find that the homicide was justified or in self-defense to get reimbursed. And they argue that that did not happen in this case. So I want to hear your thoughts on whether these officers, now that they've been acquitted, should have their legal costs covered essentially by taxpayers. Yeah, at first I thought, like, regardless of where you are on it, I mean, the outcome of the trial was that they were acquitted. So my first thought was, yeah, they should have those legal fees reimbursed. Then there's always the second thought, right? Right. And my second thought was, you know what? Um, They could get treated like a lot of people in this country where folks can accuse you of things. You can, in this case, they were charged with something um, uh, via a lot of public pressure. And many times there is no recourse. You have to just kind of deal with it. In this case, though, there is that law that is on the books. It's just whether they'll be able to use that law to to their advantage. The thing I want to point out about this case, Ursula, that I think is so interesting. In this particular article, they say that they had six lawyers. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a minute. How many people when they are accused of something or going, are, are able to access six attorneys. Well, you know that attorneys, and, and, and many of them were high-profile attorneys, That I mean, th- this is a case that can can really make an attorney, and, and, and there were veteran attorneys who were defending the officers, and they won. I mean, it's great publicity for these attorneys. But my initial reaction like yours was, Oh, man. I mean, haven't they been paid out enough? Uh, they were already getting a half million dollars just to, to not work. And um, then collectively got over a million just uh, in, you exactly. know, over time. But and and I will admit that I had a discussion with my husband, who happens to be an attorney. Uh, he's in the prosecutor's office. And we were talking through this and uh, looking at the state law, um, which, again, finds that, you know, if they are acquitted, well, perhaps they are um it it says here they're entitled. They are they're eligible. Exactly. If they can, what's the the line here? If they can prove a not guilty by reason of justify justifiable homicide. Yes. So that's what the force. judge is going to have right. to to decide. But um, the other part of it was that with the internal investigation, there was no finding of wrongdoing against these officers, even though the uh, Tacoma police chief said, "Well, there was no finding of wrongdoing based on." the policies that were in place at the time this happened. And he has since changed. And again, that's another big thing. You have to go with the laws you had at the time or the the rules you had in place at the time. Which goes in favor of the officers, even though, 
you know, in my gut, it feels like, wait a minute, you know, you don't want them to profit off. They were acquitted. So, so, you know, there's no going back on that. With six attorneys. Right. I can't, I'm so, I just go back to that because it's, that is, we, we know, well, you, Mark, right? Long yes. live Mark. I mean, will he, he tell us just the impact of having good legal representation? Oh, it's huge. It is huge. And, and their attorneys did a really good job. Can somebody explain why? I understand that line in the law, but I have never once in the history of the state see the public cover the costs of a not guilty uh, suspect's case. Yep. Because they unless were, there's prosecutorial misconduct or frivolous charges were brought or there was exculpatory evidence that was withheld. There's no there's no evidence of misconduct here. Does that mean if the state charges an average person, they should get there? Or is well, it because they're public employees? Are, it's exactly. because they're public servants. Okay. Public servants working Great. in the capacity as a police officer. This worries me because it, it has an ability to chill potential prosecutions. It can make prosecutors gun shy to pursue charges if they believe the public's going to have to pay for a not guilty verdict twice in this case if they end up getting paid. Yeah, and I think you make a great point. So when it opened back in 2021, uh, there was a lot of excitement surrounding the Why Not You Academy in South King County. This then Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson and his wife Sierra had donated more than one point six million dollars. They had visited the charter school that was dedicated to marginalized students. They had visited a few times. But now, after three years, that the future of that school is in jeopardy. The Seattle Times is reporting on this. They're saying that more than a dozen former students and employees have accused the school's leadership of unprofessionalism and toxic behavior. And since September, the Why Not You Academy has actually lost a third of its students and staff. Most of the original staff, including the founders, are no longer there. And Angela, as you know, many critics of our public school system say, you know, give us the money and we can figure out what to do with it. They've been pushing for more charter schools. But as of today, there are 18, there are only 18 of them in Washington serving about 4,400 kids across the state. I just want to get your thoughts on this. There was a lot of hoopla surrounding this particular school. I was actually really excited about the school. I was living in Burien at the time, and, I was, and we were getting ready to move to Seattle. It's like, oh, gosh, I wish that we could. It seemed like a lot of these places, nonprofits, well-intentioned. It had the backing. It seemed to have the resources. And somewhere along the way, you know, something happened. And I, I think... I'll just because I don't know all the details, right? I'm not on the inside. But one thing that stood out to me, they were saying that students with disabilities in some cases weren't getting services. Mm. And I can tell you, having been just around public education and private education, many times I've seen private schools will not accept a student with a disability because we don't have the resources to be able to deal with it. And in this case, if if a charter school was trying to do a good thing and say, hey, we want to take care of you, but at the same time, we're not equipped to do so, then it becomes where it's it's not, it's just not fulfilling its mission. Right. I, I'd say the second thing that came to mind on this story was that I, I just think when a celebrity puts their name and their money behind it. I think it's a great thing, right? They're not just doing football. They're saying, hey, I want to make a difference in education. I want to make a difference in my community. But then it's like, how much is too much where you're not able to be directly involved and make sure it's going okay? You you brought the attention to the school and you gave it the... 
attention it needed to get love in the beginning, but it's not sustainable. And now you've got this this school that that um, by all these different accounts is really struggling. I was just struck by how few charter schools there are today. Mm. I guess I was thinking there was I, I really thought there was going to be this big push for all the people who complain about public schools. And maybe um, again, I'm going to lean on our listeners because maybe you know of a, a, a charter school that's doing a great job. I you know just, what? I actually, I think, okay, when we okay. come back, because yeah. I have covered one that's been doing pretty well. Okay, good. And I just want to make sure I get the name right. So, okay, yes. perfect. Okay, y'all, we'll come back to that. Okay, text us, 888-973-5476, Cairo. So they are warning, if you don't pay us, there's going to be chaos. We're talking about Alaska Airlines flight attendants. We're going to talk to the head of the union for those flight attendants coming up next. This is the Gia Nursla Show. Show. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. Gia's out today. Angela Poe Russell is in. And as we've been reporting for the first time in over 30 years, flight attendants for Alaska Airlines have voted to go on strike. They did that strike authorization vote. It was overwhelmingly approved. So we want to know why that's happening now and what are their demands. So to help us with that is Paula Isla Magilla, the president of the union representing Alaska Airlines flight attendants. She joins us on the GN Ursula show. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. So you guys have been warning that you're, you're telling the airline pay us or expect chaos. Uh, tell us about that and your strategy. Uh, about the chaos strategy? Yes. Yeah, so we um, had our, our historic chaos strike in 1993, and that basically stands for creating havoc around our systems. And that was a groundbreaking strategy because it wasn't like a standard strike where you have your whole workforce just like walk out. It was really um, about random flights that would be targeted, and it at the at the end of the day, it really only affected, <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me, it really was only 25 flight attendants that ended up actually striking just seven flights. But it was creating that uncertainty with the flying public of, well, you know, could it be their flight that that would get struck? And so it created, um, it made the flight bookings diminish by significant like a significant significant amount and so it really forced management to come to the table because it was just um it was that element of surprise that was too hard to handle and so you're in this phase now or is this about to start um no the strike authorization vote it basically means that now we can request the national mediation board to declare that our negotiations are deadlocked and release both parties into a 30-day cooling off period which would then lead to a strike deadline so we're still in mediations and um we have to basically but we, we now we have to we have that that ability to be able to request that from the national mediation board so there's still a lot of time okay so what 
was the breaking point for this. I mean, we, I was looking at just flight attendant salaries and was really surprised at how little some are making. And I even looked at the rankings of the top, you know, fl- uh, companies for flight attendant salary, and I didn't see Alaska ranking in the top five. So give us some insight into the major sticking points here. Well, you know, I think a lot of the public are now increasingly becoming aware that flight attendants don't get paid for the whole time that they are required to be at work. So as much as 45 to 45 minutes to an hour prior to our flight departing, we're required to be at work. If we're not there, we can be disciplined up to being fired, but we're not paid for that. And it's usually the most demanding times of our job where it's boarding, we are helping passengers with their their luggage, we're dealing with um, duplicate seats and, you know, it's 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 a really demanding part, but we're not being paid until that door is closed. And actually, Alaska, it's even more of a derivative of that, <clears throat> which was we're we're paid for mileage, so we're not paid on the ground. And um, this is now a nine-year-old contract. We've extended it a couple times since 2014, but it's essentially a nine-year-old contract. So we're working off of work rules that we're now seeing a lot of the loopholes that are there that is being exploited. And so, yeah, we can come, we can show up to work um, as much as, uh, well, we can be scheduled up to 10 and a half, but we can be um, extended to 14 hour days. Um, and we can only be paid for as little as five or half of that. So, so okay. um, it's, so, so, so Ursula, am I, so am I hearing this correct that when those people, when, when flight attendants are helping me with my carry on stuff, yeah. because the plane hasn't taken off, yes, like the do- you're not getting you get paid. paid until the doors close. Correct. Correct. That is wild. Okay, so yes. so is this something that is unique to Alaska Airlines, Paula, or is this something industry-wide? It's, a, it's an industry-wide practice. I mean, we do now have some airlines, Delta and SkyWest, that have some pay for boarding, but it's like half of their hourly rate for half the amount of time. So it's like a quarter of the, I guess a quarter pay for that one hour boarding pay, you know, of boarding time. So. Mm. Um, we're slowly getting to that point where um, we can capture some of that unpaid time, but it's it takes it takes time. <laughs> so you you want that to be changed so that you're paid for all the hours, or the that the flight attendants are paid for all the hours that they can't do anything other than be you know in the plane or or waiting for the plane. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, or between yes, time between your flights. Um, you know, because a lot of the time our, our flight attendants are not just working one flight a day. They're working two, three, four, five, five flights a day. So um, it's that time in between the, the between each flight that you're not getting paid. OK, so pa- Paula, um, Angela alluded to it. But what are flight attendants making? Because I saw the quote and I know it's a range, but give give us the range currently and, and what you're hoping for in addition to the hours that you're not. Uh, being paid for hours that you are there, are you asking for an increase as well? Yeah, we're well, we're asking for an increase in our wage rates. So Alaska Airlines had had promised us industry leading pay rates, um, and they I know that they have responded to the news saying that they have offered fifteen percent wage increases 
across the board. But when you when you consider that a first year flight attendant is making twenty four ninety five per an hour unit of TFP, but twenty let's just say twenty four ninety five an hour, and we're not a standard job where you're working forty hours a week. Um, a reserve flight attendant is is guaranteed ninety in a month. So twenty four ninety five for ninety hours a month is, I think, about twenty seven thousand a year. Fifteen percent would only bring that to less than thirty one thousand a year. I mean, anybody can Google what rent is in Seattle. <laughs> yes, we've um, that doesn't even cover that. that. Right. Exactly. So I mean, and we have we live uh, we have six bases on the West Coast, and that's some of the top most inexpensive cities in the country. It's just not sustainable for our flight attendants. And so we see a lot of flight attendants having to leave what they, they call their dream job because they're just unable to make ends meet. Paula, uh, we are running out of time, but I do want to mention that Alaska Airlines uh, sent out a statement and they essentially said, you know, they're still hopeful for the negotiations, but they also said that uh, this whole warning about chaos is, you know, part of your negotiating strategy and that before any of that could happen and before you could actually walk out, there would have to be a lot of things that you would do. So essentially trying to warn travelers, because you know what, as me, as someone who flies Alaska Airlines, I worry about disruptions. Yes. Um, Well, and I think that management should be worried because it if this is just that first step, and yes, there's other step, like there's more steps along the way, but we're confident, and we this should tell management that our our work group is unified. We are ready and willing to do whatever it takes to achieve the contract that not only that we have deserved, but we have earned that contract. We are the largest, most passenger facing work group in the country, uh, in the in the airline, and we create that value that uh, creates the profits that our airline is enjoying. And we just want our fair share. Paula Islam Magilla, president of the union representing Alaska Airlines flight attendants. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Okay, still ahead, Angela Poe Russell, who is co-hosting with me today. You did a commentary that I loved. And so we're going to talk about it because it's the State of the Union Valentine's Day version. Yeah, it was like Love and Relationships Edition. (laughs) Right. Okay, so we'll talk about that next. This is the Gian Ursula Show. show i immediately perked up listening to this song because saturday night fever is a mm. movie that i watched i think i said 15 times in the theater <laughs> you. Oh, man. and you know what how we're a lot of us are feeling today yes it's like it just takes us back to yes kind of a happy moment right simpler times simpler times well fresh off valentine's day how many of us are single so you did your, I want to call it your debut commentary <laughs> yesterday, yes. and you revealed the shocking answer. If you think about it, dating shows, they've been around for a while. I grew up watching The Dating Game, Love Connection, and eventually learned what in the world Whoopi meant. 
But these days, there are more than a dozen options. You've got The Bachelor, Golden Bachelor, Married at First Sight, Love Island. You get the point. As dating shows expanded, it made me wonder what our love life is like in reality, like our actual life. The bottom line is things don't seem so fairy tale. More people than ever are single. In 1990, 29% of folks didn't have a partner. In 2019, the number shot up to 38%. And now, according to the Census Bureau, the number of single people has jumped to almost half. Now, some would argue that this is a good thing. There's even a website to celebrate singleness. Multiple surveys from credible institutions have found almost half of single people, they don't even want to date. They don't want a romantic relationship. The top two reasons, too busy or because it didn't work in the past. Meanwhile, the dating apps are busier than ever. And all those dating shows I mentioned, highly rated and doing well. And that makes the state of our unions a little confusing. So what gives? Well, perhaps we are in love with the romance of a relationship versus the reality. And the reality is maybe love in 2024 is more complicated. It is complicated. It is. I I think so. What I go on to talk about is just the dating apps kind of, you know, how those how technology gives you many of those apps. They want you to stay on there. They want you to stay on there. So you keep feeding it and advertisements, all the things. So you have your dating apps. It gives you this sense that, you know what? There are plenty of fish in the sea. I can just swipe. I also think there's a culture of of not settling quote unquote, not settling, like compromise. The idea of that is actually kind of a good thing. I mean, obviously not on your key values, but I think we've taken it a little bit too far. Right. Um, yeah. What was your, I'll get into my other major point in a minute. But what well, was no, your I, I want, I want to hear your other major point. And then, and then, um, the other thing I found is that in singles today, the, the, the 2024 big dating trend is that people want the person they date to be socially and politically engaged. So not only have like care about it, but I want you to be engaged and in the same thing that I'm doing or the same thing I care about. And I think that's really hard. Like I have really good friends and one is an atheist Mm -hmm. and one is like hardcore Catholic and they have developed this beautiful relationship. Like the kids are still being raised Catholic, but they have been able to really respect each other and kind of even through the child rearing. And I'm, and I just, and, and maybe, and obviously that is probably an unusual version, but I think we've gone way to the other side. Well, I, I, I love that you looked into this and uh, didn't realize that so many people are single and happy to be single and choosing to be single, and and the re, one of the reasons being I, I'm just too busy. But I get that. I actually get it, and. And I think there is just such a pressure, like, especially as people get into the their 40s, certainly by 50s. And if you say, well, I'm single, society will judge you like there's got to be something wrong with you. Why are you single? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I also wonder if there is like I've seen so many celebrities as of late, like. We'll have children and they're just like, no, we're good. Like, we don't need to, you know. And I mean, obviously that's there. I just wonder, like, what is it an economic thing? Is it more people realizing marriage is like a legal thing? Well, with half of them ending in divorce. There's that. Still, yeah, I, I think for a lot of people, it's like, well, why do I need to have that 
certificate to symbolize that you know we are a couple. Yeah, and it's it's not just not that important. Well, here's what I can say is the bottom line. I remember because I really did want. A, a loving because I, I was divorced mm-hmm. and I really wanted a loving relationship again so when I would date I would ask people like hey do you want to be married again and I'll never forget someone's answer and it's why I dumped him uh, <laughs> but he was just like well no one wants to be alone you know and, and I think people we are wired for connection and sometimes when people do say they're busy it, it it's like they've given up or it's frustrating and I, I just think we can't ignore the loneliness piece of it. Mm-hmm. And it maybe it doesn't have to look like marriage for some folks. I was going to say, you could the loneliness epidemic that we have, and I think there is one, especially after the pandemic, and, and I get all that. But I love what someone said yesterday. We opened the phone lines, and one of our listeners called in and said, I had to be okay with myself. And it yes. was only when I was okay with myself and felt complete by myself, did I find mm. my partner and my th- the love of my life. Yeah. And it's okay, but it's okay to be single. And I say that as someone who's been married for over 30 and, and look, years. a lot of people uh, like will agree with you. It absolutely is okay. But what the data shows us is that there are a lot of people who don't want to be, ah. and the, our culture is making it really difficult to yeah. find someone to maybe experience that with. And I heard that it's especially the case in the Seattle area. Like, Seattle is supposedly notoriously bad for dating. Maybe you can text us and tell us if that's true. 888-973-5476-888-973-Cairo. Still ahead on What's New at 10, we are going to have the latest on the Kansas City mass shooting and continue our conversation about what is it that we can do? Is this who we are? And is there anything that we can do differently this time around? Uh, That's coming up next on the GNR Slush Show.